Let's turn in our Bibles today, please, to the book of Luke in the New Testament, the book of Luke, chapter 19. And as you're turning in your Bible, let me encourage you as you leave the service today to pick up uh, as many of the tickets as you'll need to invite your friends, your acquaintances, your people you work with uh, for our musical program uh, this Thursday and Friday here in the church. The tickets are free in the back. Uh, Take as many as you need, and uh, we always are blessed time and time again when our people go out and they invite their friends, and God always does something. He always shows up, and the hearts are always touched. And so you're the vehicle that God uses for this type of an enterprise. Uh, Inside your Sunday curry is your sermon notes. I'd like for you to pull them out there in front of you, the parade that ends in tears. Palm Sunday is always special to me. I think I wake up on Palm Sunday morning with a big smile on my face because I think of a parade. I've told you many times, whenever my sister Judy and myself, were, we were growing up in Pittsburgh, uh, we, were, we were of that generation that we were poor and we didn't know it. That's nice to be that way. It's nice we didn't know it. And we didn't get to do too many things, but every now and then our, my mother would say, hey, we're going to go down to Pittsburgh and we're going to go to a parade. And I remember I was just such a little kid and I was so excited. We'd get on the public transportation and we'd go down and fight all of those hundreds of people down there and find a little spot on the curb to sit down. And I thought, boy, this is the best thing in all the world. I hope this parade never ends. I remember that distinctly. All those bands, all those instruments just coming one right after another, and here my eyes are a bit this big. Well, maybe that's why I'm so excited about Palm Sunday. I don't know. Maybe it's a carryover from my childhood. But I like to direct your attention to Luke chapter 19, verse 28. This parade uh, was a parade that uh, got off the ground really great, but it came to a crashing halt at the end. Verse 28, when he said this, he went on ahead and going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany, two little towns, suburbs of Jerusalem, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no man has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you're loosing it, Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Every time I read that, I think about how God needs so little what we have. You know, he owns everything. He doesn't need anything we have, really. But he allows you and me to participate in the blessing of serving God in our life by asking us to to give our time, our talents, our treasures to the Lord so that we enjoy the blessing. And so the Lord could have uh, created among many of his miracles, just a little donkey to ride, but he wanted this family to get the blessing. He wanted them to feel like, hey, I'm a part of all of this. And so he says, listen, whenever they ask you, just say the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. And I wrote in the margin of my Bible, I can't remember when, it's always just as he said. You know, in life, a lot of times people say things, oftentimes they say things they really don't mean, 
And oftentimes they say things and uh, they never come through with the things they say, but not so with the Lord. Uh, the Lord says something and he always means it. And it always comes to fruition just exactly like he explained it. He is so reliable, that's why we come together in the church and worship him. Because he alone has this sterling, impeccable, transcendent purity about him that just blows us away whenever we look at him in all of his majesty. Well, here we find that uh, this is a strange parade. Some clothes on the road, a borrowed donkey, and a king who would not live out the week. That is strange. Verse 33, But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. That was, by the way, a password. I understand. The Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus and threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. You know, the life of Jesus had its ebbs and flows. You know, there were times that there were crowds out there when they were cheering him on, and then there were times that, that he was out there alone and there was no one there to cheer. But now we find that uh, this whole life of Jesus on earth comes to a grand, a grand crescendo. And I mean, it's it just like this is the peak right now. This is the f grand finale that we're looking at. All of his disciples began to praise God for all of these tremendous miracles. I'll tell you, there were a lot of miracles that Jesus did that were well worth praising the Lord for. And they were doing it with all their might right here. And let's look in verse 38, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It's interesting that this story is told in the four Gospels. Uh, the first three Gospels we call synoptic Gospels. That means they have somewhat the same information given by different authors from their own perspective. And so the way we read the New Testament is we lay all the Gospels out, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we put them all out there and we read each account. And if you, reach e if you read each account, you get the whole story. Uh, Matthew may have something that Luke doesn't have or Mark doesn't have. And John may have something that none of the others have. And so that's why you have to read them all and then mesh them all together and you get the full picture. Uh, as you, I did that this week in preparation for this Sunday morning. It was a wonderful experience uh, to see them all fit together so beautifully. Uh, people were coming to this parade for many reasons. First of all, it was Passover season. Uh, Passover was that most important festival in Israel. It celebrated the release from Egypt, the going out of Egypt. You remember the story, the Passover. They painted the blood on the doorpost, and they, uh, the death angel passed over. And the people were delivered through the blood. And so God says, listen, I want you to always remember that because that's going to have eternal purpose uh, because it's a picture of the lamb that's going to come in the future. Remember at Passover, they all had to bring their little lambs and they had to shed the blood and they had to apply the blood? Well, on this day, Luke 19 day, right here, Jesus sent the last lamb into the world. 
his last lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Let's read it together. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Christ, our lamb, was sacrificed for us. At, at the proper time, Passover time, when all of these people were getting their lambs ready to shed the blood, here comes Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he would shed his blood and put those shepherds out of business that raised the lambs for sacrifice. And so this was a well-planned event. I know that many of you have read the New Testament and you know that our redemption, the Bible says, was planned before the world began. Ephesians 1, 4 says that uh, he had chose you and him before the world began. And what that really means is, you know, whenever we think about the beginning, we think about God saying in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But before he did that, you know what? You were on his mind. And before he created the world, he chose you to be one of his followers. Then he sprinkled these prophecies throughout the Old Testament that were to come true in Jesus. And here's one of them, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Let's read this together. Rejoice greatly, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, even on a donkey's colt. Now, here's a prophecy that was given in the Bible hundreds of years before Christ came. And it says that the king would come riding on a donkey. Now, that sent a special message. Because whenever you think, think about a king, you don't think about a donkey. You think about a royal entourage. But uh, if you go back in the Old Testament, which I did this week, and I was reading in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33 and 34, whenever Solomon was to be anointed king in Israel, David, his father, said, put him on my donkey and go anoint him the king of Israel. And so kings and donkeys do work. And uh, they send an important message. And the message is that this royal person riding this little humble donkey is coming with that same spirit, the spirit of humility and the spirit of peace. Now, they knew that whenever a royal person came riding on a, a horse, a white horse, that was a different issue. That person came to wage war. But uh, this person comes in this setting to, to wage peace. And uh, as I said to you before, when he, whenever they came to get this donkey, they had this little password, and the password was, the Lord has need of him. Now, evidently, whenever they made that statement uh, to the owner of the donkey, the owner uh, was a believer, and they had that pre-planned. Uh, this particular parade was planned by the Lord. It wasn't just kind of a spontaneous thing that came together. It was planned as we said in Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9, uh, there was a donkey, and uh, this donkey was to carry this king. Uh, then, 
It's interesting to me that he had an incredible entourage of people that joined him in this parade. And in order to really see this in its fullest, you have to read the context of Luke chapter 19. And uh, you have to move forward to Luke chapter 18. And as Jesus was heading to Jerusalem right into the eye of the storm, remember that his face was on the poster there. He was wanted. They wanted to kill him. And so people were saying, listen, don't go there. And Jesus uh, responded by going there because that was the purpose of his mission on earth. He was to go there and die. But when he went, he picked up people, followers, disciples along the way. And as he came, before he came into Jericho, there was this one man in Luke chapter 18. His name was Bartimaeus. How many people in the church, I want to ask you personally, but how many of the people in the church know what the problem of Bartimaeus was? Just raise your hand. You Bartimaeus, I almost said it. Because every time I say Bartimaeus, I always say blind Bartimaeus. I gave it away. And so here was Bartimaeus, and uh, he heard that Jesus was coming through, and he would not be denied. He really wouldn't. And, the, and he called out to the Lord, and he said, Son of David. And you know what that term means? That means Messiah. The Son of David coming to sit on David's throne. And so he called out, Son of David. And they said, Listen, you're making too much noise. And he said, You haven't heard the half of it. That's not in there. But I know that's what he said. Should be in there. Uh, he said, Son of David. And then he said the magic word, if I can use the word magic in a spiritual way, if that works at all. Then he said the magic word, have mercy on me. Oh, Jesus stopped. That will stop Jesus. Have mercy on me. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the God of mercy. You know, he goes around looking for people to be merciful to. He's just looking out for people that needs mercy. Look at Exodus 34. He says, I'm the God of mercy. And so he said he had mercy on me. And that, so that stopped Jesus in his tracks. And he asked Bartimaeus, what do you want? And he said, that I may see. And you know what he said? Your faith has made you whole. And you know, when I thought about that, I, I was reminded that our faith always makes us whole. It always does under every situation. And what that simply means is that when we have faith in God, we believe in him and we obey him. And when we believe in him and when we obey him, it always heals us. It always makes us a whole person. It always makes us a more well person. And so he told Bartimaeus, your faith has made you whole. And so Bartimaeus says, listen, I'm joining the parade, man. This is really neat. I can see now. Jesus was picking up a lot of people along the way. And then he came into Jericho. And remember, there was a guy in Jericho and he climbed a what? A tree. And his name was what? Zacchaeus. And I know, what you, I know that you know what he did for a living. And I don't even want to talk about that about this time of the year. He was a tax collector, I'm sorry to say. At this time of the year. It's a frightful thing. But he was a chief tax collector. And he heard that Jesus was coming into Jericho. And he wanted a better vantage point, And he climbed up into that tree. 
And Jesus was looking for him. And Jesus went over to the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down here. I'm going to your house. Wow, you are? I just came to see you. You're going to my house? And uh, he went to the house of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus was changed immediately. If you'll notice that in the story, Jesus or Zacchaeus was changed immediately in the presence of Jesus. And let me say this to you, that when you are in the presence of Jesus, he will change you. He will change you. You cannot walk in the presence of Jesus and not be changed. Now, you can come to church, never be changed. In fact, you can come to church and get worse in your life. Things can be worse for you. You can start a regular habit of church attendance, and your life can fall apart all over the place. But if you come to Jesus, he changes you, man. He changes you. And he changed Zacchaeus so much that Zacchaeus says, you know, I want to give half of what I have to the poor. Can you imagine that check? Half of what I have. Honey, write it out. I've been touched by Jesus. I've given half of our what we have in the bank to the poor. And then I'm going to restore fourfold to everybody that I've, I've cheated. His wife fainted. She read the check out reluctantly. She said, okay. He was changed in the presence of Jesus. And then there was Lazarus. He picked up Lazarus uh, in the story too. And uh, we all know about Lazarus. He was like, he was like one of the most important characters uh, in the Bible at that time because uh, he was the guy who died, you remember? And uh, Jesus went to his funeral and broke up the funeral. And uh, the scripture says that uh, Lazarus was the person who was known as the person who was dead. Can you imagine that? And I'm sure whenever he signed his documents, he put Lazarus, comma, one who was dead. So, I mean, he had a lot going for him. And so, uh, I know you know this, but there was a price on Lazarus' head also. And they were trying to catch him and kill him because he was bringing people to Christ because he had been touched by God. And so, here Jesus picks up him along the way. And the Bible says in John 12, 18, that was the main reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about his mighty miracles. Uh, this was a wonderful entourage that Jesus had coming into Jerusalem. But then there was this surprise reaction of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was the center of the focus of attention. Uh, you know, in the Bible, when prophets wouldn't be heard, they would oftentimes act out their part. They would put on a visual aid. And so this is what Jesus did. You know, Jesus probably couldn't stand up and give a speech because everybody was praising the Lord and there was so much noise. And so he acts out this part on this donkey. Here he comes. He is in the center of the parade. He is the focal point of attention. And most of the people there thought that he was going to take, that he was going to pull out a sword and lead a revolt against Rome. And that's what they wanted more than any other one thing. They wanted him to be a deliverer like Moses was. When Moses stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And so they, were, they wanted Jesus to start a revolt, but he wouldn't. And what he did is he started to cry. 
Now, this will mess up anybody's parade. When you have the person at the center of the parade start to cry, you wonder what's wrong, right? I mean, we're all having a great time. This is a celebration, and he's crying. Well, you know, in the Bible, Jesus cried. We don't know how many times he cried, but we do know for sure two times. When Jesus went to the funeral of his friend Lazarus, remember? Uh, He looked around and he saw all these sad people, and the Bible says he wept. Now, that original word there, the Greek word for the word wept, means this. It means uh, that tears began to form in his eyes, and they would just come out of his eyes. It was kind of like a quiet thing. Have you ever been there that you felt so sad on the inside that you just couldn't, you weren't shaking or you weren't bawling, but tears were forming in your eyes and those tears were falling down your face. You just couldn't stop it. That's the word in the original language that for wept when Jesus cried at the funeral of Lazarus. It was quiet. It was, he felt for the people that were hurting. But this word, translated wept, is another Greek word. And it means an explosion of emotion, a a wailing out, a sobbing in crying. And so here is Jesus at the parade, and he is literally bawling his eyes out. And can you imagine how the disciples were so taken back and they were wondering, what's wrong? Why is this happening? This is a happy day for us. Well, if you look here in verse 42, he said, If you would have known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that you make for your peace, but now they are hidden from you. I propose to you this morning this, that whenever our Lord cried here in such an emotional way, he looked back on all the opportunities that these people had in Jerusalem to serve him. If you would have known you know, one of the saddest things for me as a pastor is to hear people say that they had, they wasted so many years of their life without having the joy of serving the Lord. That is so sad to me. In fact, about a month ago, there was a man who came to our church and he accepted Jesus as his Savior. A few weeks later, he came to me and he said, I wish I would have done this 25 years ago. That's sad to me. It really is. That's sad to me. You know, I have my mother and my dad to thank for taking me to church when I was a kid. I never got to vote on it. It wasn't up for vote. Um, But I'm sure glad they did because they planted that seed in my heart. And I was like every other kid. I kind of rebelled for a time. But, you know, the Bible has a way of, God has a way of growing seeds in your heart. You know that? So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I have sent it. All those little Sunday school classes that I used to sit there like this and say my mother made me come. You know, God was planting those seeds in my heart. uh, And after I began to really weigh out the whole situation, I said, you know, this is a good thing. I want to give my life to Christ young in life so that I can have my whole life to serve the Lord. I'll tell you, there's nothing better than that. There's uh, nothing better than not having to look back and having a lot of regrets in that area. He looked back and he said, listen, if you would have known. And then he looked within 
their hearts and he saw the superficiality of their applause because these are the same people that were hailing him here and wanting to hurt him in just a few days. Crucify him, crucify him. Uh, He was offering them one more chance right here. I want to encourage you with all my heart today that our Lord is slow to wrath and rich in mercy. And the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. Uh, He extends an invitation to you today. Don't miss it. That's my advice to you. Don't miss it. Uh, Jesus is here in this church today because we have welcomed him here as our honored guest. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. I know there are always people in church at this time of the year, and they say, you know, one of these days, boy, I'm going to really get right with God. One of these days, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'll tell you what, there's no better day to begin than right now. There's never a better opportunity than today. In fact, it's the only opportunity that we have, because tomorrow may never come. Now, Jesus looked within their hearts and he saw that they were just in it for what they wanted. And then he looked around at the effects of religion. And it's interesting, as you read this story, the next thing that Jesus does is he goes into the temple. And he says, you've made the house of prayer a den of thieves. He looked at religion. A lot of times people come to church at this time of the year and they say, you know, I just need to be a little bit more religious. Maybe that'll help. Listen, I want to go on record to say that won't help. That won't help you. Don't get more religious. The word religion is used about seven times in the Bible and about six times it's in a bad context. Because religion is always man's attempt to reach up to God. And I don't know if you've ever tried that or not, but it doesn't work. You can't reach up to God. You can't climb up to God. That's why God one day came down to man. Because you can't get up there. That's why one day God put on human flesh and was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. God came down because we couldn't work our way up. And he came down and now he's going out among us. And... uh, He is traveling up and down the streets of our world, calling people to himself, giving people an opportunity to make a decision for Christ. Boy, he looked around and he saw the results of religion. And he said, listen, you've made the church that was supposed to be a house of prayer, a den of thieves. And then he looked ahead and he said, listen, in verse 43, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you. This is a prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. Forty years from the time that Jesus made this prophecy, the Roman army under Titus came to Jerusalem and destroyed the city. Flattened it. Took everything there away. Killed about 600,000 people and took many of them into cap- others into captivity. And so these people were in effect rejecting Jesus. You know, the scripture says whenever Jesus came to his own, his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave he the authority to become the children of God.
Everybody has a decision when it comes to Christ. Do you know that? Everybody has a decision. Nobody can make it for you. You have to make it yourself. You can be among the ones who said, listen, not for me. Or you can be among the ones who say, Lord, I want to be a follower of you. I want to follow you. And you know, when you make that decision, it's really neat because God will never lead you in the wrong direction. I'm sure that there's not any of us in this church today that have not at some time in our life gone in the wrong direction. But none of us can say that whenever we went in a wrong direction that Jesus, Jesus led us there. None of us can say that. I'm sure that many of us in this church today could say that we've gone in the right direction from time to time. Can I have an amen? And then we can always say that Jesus led us there. He always leads us in the right direction, never in the wrong direction. And so that's so cool. What, a, what an opportunity is. And so Jesus today is passing through our world and he's picking up followers. And I hope he picks up a few in our church today like blind Bartimaeus or Zacchaeus who had no friends until Jesus came along. And Lazarus. I hope Jesus can pick up a few followers in our church today that will join a parade. That'll be so cool. It really will. Uh, you know, he gives the invitation, and this is his invitation today. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You just come to me, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my, my burden is light. Uh, just come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll put your soul at rest. And you know, there's nothing in this world as good as that. You know that? It's nice to get a good night's sleep. It's better to know that everything is all right in your heart with God. And only Jesus can do that. And so I invite you today to come to Christ. Join the parade, okay? Join the parade of the praisers of our Lord. Because one of these days, the Bible says, there's a great number in heaven that's going to gather around the throne with our palms in our hands and we're going to praise the Lord in heaven. Isn't won't that be phenomenal? Well, let's just get a start on it right here, okay? Uh, let's, as we leave this church today, take those palms and go out there and when you stop at a red light, look at the guy next to you and wave it at him, okay? <laughs> the guy said, the guy said, listen, I don't Let's just get a start on it, okay? Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus is passing through our world today, and he's declaring to people who he is. And uh, people are taking sides. They really are. There are some people that uh, they're rejecting him for other things. And then there are other people that are saying, you know, this is what I want. I want Jesus. Uh, I want to be a part of the parade. I need rest. I want forgiveness. He is the king and I acknowledge it. If you're here today and you've never opened your heart to Christ, there's not a better time on planet earth than right in this moment. I would not embarrass anybody in our church today. But God's looking down right in your heart right now and he loves you so much so that he died upon the cross for you. 
If you were the only one around, he would have died for you. And he wants you to come and join the parade. He wants you to be one of his disciples. But you have to, you have to call out like Bartimaeus, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm lost. I'm separated from you, God. I have no hope. Save me. If you come to him with humility and repent of your sins, Lord, I'm sorry I've broken your law. I've offended you. You're a perfect God. Forgive me. I'll tell you, those are the magic words. Our Lord will wash away your sins. And you might say, boy, you mean that he'll do that? He will. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now, wherever you are in this church, in the balcony downstairs, open your heart to Christ. Come to him. Say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I broke, I broke your law. I love you, Lord, for dying on the cross for my sins. I transfer my trust. I'm going to trust you, Lord, with my tomorrow and my eternity. Forgive me and cleanse me, Lord. Send your spirit to live in my heart so that I can be a follower. I want to praise you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing to the Lord. And as we sing, if you're here today and you'd like to come and pray about anything at the altar, you'd like to come and present yourself for church membership, you'd like to come and present yourself for baptism, or you'd just like to come and pray for a friend, just come now as we sing.